This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Alera Health Products. Every time I turn on the news, there is something about COVID. There is something about the flu. There is something about viruses. Medical experts are understaffed. There's so much going on. The best way to avoid doctors is to improve your immune health. There's a product that I just learned about called Immune Extra. And it's the only product available that can increase immune health up to ninefold in as little as nine days. It does so by increasing the amount of messenger cells that alert the immune system of any invaders. It's only one per day for maintenance. Think of it as a multivitamin for the immune system. Dosages can be increased to up to 15 per day with no side effects ever reported after millions of doses. It's been around for over 30 years. It's just new to sports with friends. It's not new to the world. It's now available in a triple strength formula originally sold only by doctors. And if you have tested positive for COVID or any respiratory illness, it's a true medicine cabinet product. Immediately when someone close to me tested positive, I wanted to know exactly what I should do. I contacted doctors. While we are not giving medical advice, this is something you want in your possession. It should be taken upon the onset of symptoms. Go to their website, www.immuneextra.com. And when you're checking out, get 15% off just for finding this from Sports with Friends. The keyword that you have to type when you're at checkout is FRIENDS15. You know, friends. Friends15 at ImmuneExtra.com. And go to their website and check it out. Because if you don't want to just take my word for it, listen, my word's not gospel. Neither is anyone else's that you might hear from today. But go to the website. Check it out. Read about it. And you know what else I did? I Googled it. Click on news. There's nothing about any harm. There have been no side effects. There's nothing about this that would be alarming. Give your immune system a fighting chance against everything that's out there in the world, including COVID. Go to ImmuneExtra.com, use the keyword FRIENDS15, and they'll know you found this from Sports with Friends. Well, it certainly feels good to say this. Welcome to Sports with Friends. I missed you last week. My goodness. It's great to be back on this podcast. In case you did not see it on my social media, my father passed away on Sunday, February 6th. And what happened was we couldn't do the podcast because of funeral arrangements and shock and everything that goes along with it. Spent so much time with my family. Um, but I do want to make sure that I say this at the very, very onset. The amount of people that were on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook that sent condolences was amazing. There are so many kind people in this world. It is so great to see. And the people that did it, some of them were friends. Some of them were strangers. Some of them listened to this podcast. And so I'm trying to do personalized messages to everyone just to to say thank you and how much I appreciate it. But if you're listening to this podcast and you sent one of those messages, I cannot thank you enough. As for my father, uh, it wasn't totally unexpected. He had not been doing well. Uh, Still, it's uh, very, very jarring. Um, You know, I I have to say, you know, fortunately for me, I've never been, you know, one of the official mourners in a in a funeral, you know, a Jewish funeral. Um, You know, I've always seen other people do it. I've been to funerals. I lost my best friend in 2016, Daryl Hamilton, and. You know, I, I still was the outsider. This is, you know, you're, you have to sit in the front row. You have to give the eulogy. You have to do all those things. I did write a eulogy, and um, it was really hard to go through. Um, I wanted to read a little portion of it uh, just because I thought it was the best way I could use a podcast that I own and host uh, to properly uh, 
let you know who my dad was. This is what I wrote. I wrote, uh, it's easy to regale with stories of growing up. The best thing is I have no regrets of things I wish I said when he was alive and healthy. If I had an issue, a question, a concern, a fear, I went to him. And he was a quiet person, but he was a very strong voice in my life. I look like him. I act like him. I'm constantly told that. This week I have been constantly told that. Um, He taught me computers. Uh, He actually designed one of the earliest versions of the ATM. As I said, he didn't invent the ATM. That would have been much cooler. Um, He loved telling people he was from Cuba. He was born in Havana, Cuba. Uh, He came when he was a child. Uh, His friends called him Ricky Ricardo, and he loved it. He thought that was very, very cool. Um, When the Devils moved to New Jersey, the hockey team, uh, they ran a contest in the newspaper to choose the team name. I was eight years old, and you could cut out the ballot and mail your vote in. And when the team was named the Devils, my father told me how close the vote was and how much my vote mattered. Um, For like three years, I thought I'd name the team. Uh, My mother had issues with me listening to the Purple Rain soundtrack. Uh, My father came home from work that evening with a copy of Thriller. Look, not all his decisions were perfect, but his heart was in the right place. Uh, He wasn't a perfect person. I'm not either. Um, He loved his family. I remember countless baseball games, basketball games, U.S. Opens that I went with him. He loved the idea that I created a podcast about the superhero universe. Um, He always wanted to know if anyone would listen to it. And uh, when we got some big audiences, you know, when we had some big uh, podcasts, um, he was so, so pleased. Uh, My dad was just 71. That is way too young. The tragedy isn't what happened on Sunday. The tragedy is that he got sick. He had Alzheimer's and... Uh, it was really taking its toll. Uh, My dad was such a big part of my life, and with all the funeral stuff, it was just impossible to do sports with friends, especially the Super Bowl episode. Um, I've loved what we've done with the Super Bowl episodes, and it just was impossible. It couldn't couldn't have happened. Uh, Yet, Warren Moon's people were so kind and so understanding. Uh, We were supposed to talk to him at the beginning of the week. He was part of Radio Row, and we were going to do it. And when I had to cancel, they totally understood. But then I reached out at the end of last week and just said, is it possible? I know this is not the norm, but can we make one exception? Can we do one post-Super Bowl interview? And they replied, and Warren was very cool. He reached out to me on Twitter, said, I'm happy to do it. Let's have some fun. Uh, So it was great to have Warren on the podcast. You know, for the last 18, 19 weeks, we've been talking to Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, about the NFL. Uh, But now we don't have an NFL. So, Patrick, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, Seth, there's no football, but with crypto bouncing back, Let's hope the show goes to the moon. Ah, that's the reference to the last episode we did with John Kostakos uh, on the NFTs and everything that we did last week. Warren Moon played quarterback professionally for 23 seasons. Uh, He started in the Canadian Football League with the Edmonton Eskimos, went to the NFL with the Houston Oilers, also played for the Vikings, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Kansas City Chiefs. He went up broadcasting uh, with the Seahawks for a long time, including their Super Bowl. Was named to nine Pro Bowls. And, of course, he played at the University of Washington. And, of course, uh, my time in Seattle, I learned a lot about the University of Washington. And just like that, we continue our theme of Seattle-based guests. I know a lot of people know him in Houston, and I understand why, or Canada. People are listening to it. But I know him from Seattle, from our days in Seattle. Uh, My first days there were his last ones on the football field. 
We are pleased to welcome in the Hall of Famer, Warren Moon, to Sports with Friends. Warren, thanks so much for doing this, and thanks for doing this a week later. That's really, really kind of you. Uh, Seth, thanks for having me, and uh, you know, really sorry about your loss and your family. I'm sure that that had a lot to do with last week, but uh, here we are today, and uh, I'm glad I could be a part of your show. Yeah, you are a part of this show. So the story, let's get the story out of the way because this defined probably my first six months in Seattle. I get to KJR and you go and you sign with the Seahawks. They have this young kid, John Kitna, and he hadn't proven a gosh darn thing. And I went on KJR because what they tell you in sports radio is have an opinion, back it up. Don't just, you know, waffle and, and ride the fence. So I said, Warren Moon should be the starter. And my God, the amount of calls, I think I'm still getting calls about Warren. You need a veteran quarterback. That's what I said. And you were that guy. So the, the idea that all these years later, I'm having you on this podcast is quite a thrill. <laughs> well, you know, when you get older uh, in football, uh, they're always looking to replace you with younger people if they feel like they can, especially <laughs> they're less expensive. Uh, they feel like they have less uh, injury. I mean, risk of injury, all those different things. And I had come off an injury, and I, I think uh, there was more concern about that than anything else, not the fact that I was still playing at a Pro Bowl level of uh, football. So uh, it's unfortunate that's the way teams think, but uh, I was glad John got his opportunity and made the most of it. But um, I thought I still should have been the, the, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, my God. We, we should have done the radio show then. Back then, it would have been gold. Oh, my goodness. Um, how was the week? Tell me, you know – First things first, I will say Radio Row, somebody at the NFL offered a, a spot on Radio Row. We could have done this in person. Uh, I had at the time uh, declined it because at the time Omicron was surging like crazy. But the numbers seemed to be going down and Radio Row, I heard, was at like 75 percent capacity. What was the week like heading into the Super Bowl? You know, it was very mellow in, in Radio Row, but uh, it was still it was still uh, hectic, you know, because when you know a lot of people, like I played for a long time, right? So of course. I had 22 years of professional football, and then I was in the media with Seahawks for 15 yep. years. So I know a lot of people in sports. So everywhere I walked, somebody's trying to get you to come on their show. And <laughs> I had a schedule that I already had set up that I'm trying to get from interview to interview because some of them go longer than others. So sure. it's still hectic that way, but uh, it was it was also great to see a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in a while and it was much more mellow than what the normal radio row has been in past years so uh, I, I actually liked it I just wonder how technology is going to change things you know we are connecting virtually and I just wonder how many people whether radio stations will continue to spend the money to send their hosts I that's what I just wonder as an outside observer I I don't have a, a stake in that you know what I mean I, it doesn't impact my life and it doesn't impact yours but you know the Super Bowl the, the week of the Super Bowl is as much the event as the actual game itself wouldn't you say it really is. And uh, all of it leads up to it. You know, you have all this big build up to the game and you hope the game lives up to all the build up that's gone on, whether it's all the parties, all the functions that go on, um, all the media hype that goes up to the game. You just hope the game lives up to that. And fortunately, this year it did live, live up to that. But as you look at station managers now and they see how technology has made it easier to do certain things. Yep. If they feel like they don't have to spend all this money on hotels and, and plane trips and cars and, and meals and all the other things that it takes to send a crew to Radio Row and they can do it uh, virtually, they're going to do that as long as they're getting the same content. Right. right. That's just it. They're getting the, the same thing. Uh, you, you mentioned you liked the game. What was your takeaway from the game? Um, it was very compelling. It just was wild how Cincinnati barely committed a penalty through three and a half quarters. And then all of a sudden on that final drive, they get flagged for literally everything. And some of them were really ticky tack. What was your overall takeaway on the Super Bowl? I thought it was a really good game. I felt like uh, going in that it was going to be a, a three point game. I think I said it was going to be 30 to 27. And you probably uh, said that on 7,000 radio shows. So they, <laughs> exactly. you're, you're, it's documented. Exactly. I felt I felt the Rams were going to win the game. And the reason I felt they would win it is because I felt their star players would step up at the end and make the plays they needed to make. And that's kind of the way it happened. So 
Um, you, you see Aaron Donald comes up and makes the big pressure on, on Burrow the last play of the game. You see uh, Matthew Stafford with the big touchdown pass. You see Cooper Cup, you know, makes the touchdown catch. You see Von Miller uh, makes the big sack on, as well on that drive. So all those things happen, all those star players they brought in to kind of get this thing done. They kind of they kind of sold the ranch to say we're going to win a Super Bowl right now. All those guys contributed, you know, and, and even uh, LBJ at the beginning, he, um, excuse me, OBJ. OBJ, OBJ. That would have been a bigger story if LBJ that would have been a huge story if, uh, if LBJ would have been playing. <laughs> when OBJ, you know, scores the first touchdown of the game, that that shows, you know, another one of their stars rose to the occasion in the big game. So all of that that they put in on the all-in approach worked for them, and they ended up winning a Super Bowl. We will continue to break down the Super Bowl, the state of the NFL, everything going on with the great Hall of Famer, Warren Moon. So excited that he is on the podcast. We're also excited to reunite with Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. Patrick uh, missed a week because we couldn't do the podcast last week, and the Super Bowl happened. So we'll recap the Super Bowl, take a look at that game, and what else is going on in the sports world that you can gamble on. Patrick, taking a look at that game, Cincinnati, who barely had any penalties the whole game, gets mm-hmm. every kind of pass interference call you could find uh, in that final drive, gave the Rams 17 extra opportunities. So if you're going to give them that many opportunities, you deserve to lose. Yeah, that's – and you know what? Uh, it's not unique to this Super Bowl how the vast majority of that game was called, uh, which is whistles are being swallowed. Um and I, I think until midway of the fourth quarter, we hadn't had uh, a penalty in uh, something like 20, 25 minutes of clock game time. Um, and, I, and I get it. The referees don't want to be uh, the stars. Uh, we don't want to see procedural penalties over and over and over again. The easy stuff uh, like encroachments are easy to call, but even that wasn't happening. I do think that one of those uh, pass interference penalties at the end of the game was maybe a makeup because I, I did think two players prior, there was an opportunity to call what I thought was an obvious defensive hold, but otherwise, I, I don't like makeup calls. I really do believe that if you missed it, you shouldn't be looking for the right one, especially in spots that are so impactful. Listen, I, I don't mind a makeup call early in the game or on the very next shift or something in a game that's still tied or, but that's the Super Bowl was maybe essentially decided by that pass interference call. Uh, otherwise, Especially, and the, the offsetting ones as well. The offsetting ones would have had the Rams uh, a further 10 yards back, having to try and get 15 yards on two plays against a pretty good Bengals defense. And the Rams have been scr- struggling from in close, and they have from all year. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate that the refs, uh, despite uh, not making their names heard for most of the evening, made themselves known in really the most impactful part of the game. Frustrating. Uh, we can't uh, avoid it. Uh, no robot umps, no robot referees just yet, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it could be on its way after all of this. I mean, there's no secret about uh, the controversy around the, the, the calls. All right, so now what happens at Bovada uh, when there's no football? I, I, you know, I know we've done this show for longer than a year, so I've lived in a, in a post-football or pre-football world. Uh, but what remind me what is that like oh god so this is when we uh do our reports for the year people uh take a little vacation maybe uh say hello to loved ones that they've been neglecting for a while you do Uh, it right in the middle of week 17 (laughs) (laughs) i think i think my wife has uh, big plans for what i should be doing but on the bovada side of things yeah i mean uh, the sports keep on uh trucking uh you know nba is in full swing the Olympics is underway. I still haven't seen a single event yet. I haven't seen one thing yet. Yeah, uh, we have, uh, you know, more tennis upon us. We have March Madness coming in uh, just uh, under a month's time. Conference play leading into that. Uh, we just keep on trucking. Uh, it's, uh, well, God, we're going to have the midterms this year, Seth. Midterms, politics, back. Oh, it's, I, I've got too much on my plate. It's a good problem to have, but uh, yeah, we're going to be busy with all of it. What has... Um... You know the NHL not, you know not not doing this and all all of all of, uh, you know the, that controversy is over. What about the women's tournament? That really captivated me last Olympics. I think the bigger issue with the Olympics is the time that they're happening. It's the middle of the night. 
We live in an age where tape delay doesn't do anything for me. Uh, the tape delay is so gross. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, my wife stays up later than me these days. And she said that it's been cool, you know, at midnight, you know, because early morning, they, you know, over there, they show some, some live events. But um, that's been my biggest turnoff. What about the gambling on the women's tournament versus the men's? Because you know all the players in the women's tournament. You don't know on the on the uh, on the men's tournament without the NHL. Right. So I we still have more on the men than the women's, but definitely uh, it's not the, as big of a disparity at Bavada as we've seen uh, in previous Olympics. Uh, you know, we don't have too many reference points because this has now been more than a couple Olympics. But going back to Sochi, was Sochi the last one where uh, the actual pros were able to play? I think. Yes, yeah, so um, it was a couple of Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, that was another time zone that wasn't particularly friendly. I remember uh, going into the office like two or three in the morning on those days to try and sort those games out. But uh, the disparity in betting handle Pavada between men and women going back to Sochi when they had professional players who we all knew playing for Canada, US, Russia, where, wherever. Finland, uh, Sweden, it was, it's such a great tournament because there's tournament. no dominant, there's nobody dominant. You know, anybody can win on any given year and like a World Cup, it's fascinating. Like yeah. you, you don't know who's going to have the best roster that particular year. and. Uh, it's it's the, the NHL and the NHL did talk about trying to make a tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Good, good, make it. I, I I'm in. I, I'm I'm so yeah. in. I want it. I can't wait for it. Yeah, and that that would be a way to you know I don't know if they want to revive like the World Cup or whatever version of hockey. They said they, they want to do like a hybrid of it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that's good. we, we got to have it. We we've got to you know. I mean, it's it was always going to be tricky in that time zone, like you said, Seth. Uh, and I, I don't watch sports after they've already taken place. I don't go back in time and do that. Uh, I like to experience them with people, whether it's in person or online on Twitter or wh- wherever else the case. Uh, and I'm not staying up till two or three or four or five to do this again, especially not if the actual pros are there. And I, so we are seeing that kind of betting disparity in that. If we were going back to Sochi, the betting on the men's to women's hockey would be something like 10 to 15 to 1 difference in handle. It's only a 3 to 1 difference now. There's not a lot of hype for this men's hockey. Uh, when you talk about the uh, the NBA, uh, is it the regular season games or is it all the trade rumors? What, what was the situation? I know the trade deadline has come and gone. What was the big deal at the NBA? Was it where is everybody going? Kind of like how it works in the offseason? Yeah, very much so. And I, I think what we see uh, with, with NBA, and uh, it's, it's no secret, but it continues to just become apparent. And with the trade deadline just passing, uh, it's really reinforced is that just how one player can make or break teams. I mean, we, we've seen the most obvious and dramatic example of LeBron James in the past, uh, uh, you know, switching teams. And all of a sudden, the Cleveland Cavaliers will have like 40 wins added to their win total at Bavada. We'll see like futures odds go from 200 to 1 down to 20 to 1. And uh, wh- when that kind of stuff takes place, it's dramatic. And it, it, it's really about just ensuring that, especially when you get to trade deadline day, that uh, our guys are, you know, monitoring not just game lines for games that we have to take down and adjust, but the futures lines and these trade special markets that we put out there. Um, it, ha- it has been interesting to see. Uh, I guess I would say the most impactful one would be uh, Harden reuniting in Philadelphia right now. That saw their odds uh, become a little bit more likely at Bavada uh, based on that move. He reunites with Daryl Morey. He reunites with a team that knows how to better utilize him. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's this always feels like when we start paying attention finally to the NBA. But it's really about making sure that your stars are getting to the playoffs in one piece, and that's a real difficult thing to watch with NBA. You know, the Spurs kind of kicked it off a few years ago, much to uh, David Stern's, uh, you know, anger when he would rest players on back-to-backs, especially if they were nationally televised. But those are big things for the odds, and uh, you know, for us at Bavada, that's that's something that we just constantly have to uh, be on top of. And the trade deadline was no different for us. That is Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bavada. He will join us next week right here on Sports with Friends. Now back to our conversation with a Hall of Famer. Not our first Hall of Famer, but our latest. The great Warren Moon. Matthew Stafford is an interesting character because this is a guy, look, he's in the NFL. And you're a perfect guy to ask this to. I mean, 
you're not eating oodles and noodles for dinner. I mean, this is, it's a great life, you know, being a, an NFL quarterback playing for the lions for 10 years, you know, and you just kind of wonder what is it? What, what was your thought on the emotion for him? You know, just to, as somebody who's played his position, done his life and, and had his life, what was your thought on the culmination of that? And this blockbuster trade that really, really paid off for him. Well, it was just a new opportunity for him, a new positive opportunity for him. And he had been in Detroit for a lot of years. He was very loyal to that organization, never complained about the situation that they were in. At least he didn't do it publicly. Um, and, and they weren't a lot. A you lot know of the your- fine line. I don't mean to cut you off, but you know that fine line. You know yeah. how to complain and not do it publicly. Exactly. But he, uh, you, you know, he, he played his tail off. He had some really good seasons uh, individually, but really nothing to show for it. So um, I'm glad he finally got the chance to get out of there and try it somewhere else, because sometimes you need a change of address in your uh, in your career to make things happen for you. And and when you spend 10 years somewhere, it's not like you didn't give it a good, good, good uh, try. You, you gave it a great try and uh, you gave it everything you had and it just wasn't working. And it still hasn't worked since he left. Um, so it's not like he was the, he was the problem. Um, so I'm glad he got this opportunity to come to the Rams, a team that was very talented, a team that really wanted him, a coach that really wanted him and felt like he could do some things to take advantage of his strengths as a quarterback. And also it would make it would make the, the head coach look better, too, because there were things that he wanted to do within his offensive structure that he didn't feel like he could do with Jared Goff. So I think that was a, a, a match made in heaven between the two. And then they were able to go on and and, uh, and and get this thing done and win it. So this has been a completely um, successful season for the Rams. They went through a little adversity throughout the year. People didn't didn't think that it was going to happen, but uh, they turned things around at the playoffs and uh, got on a roll. And that's kind of how you win a championship. You get on a roll in the playoffs. There's no secret about that. Of the 7,000 radio shows that you did, uh how many radio hosts and oh my god you must have dealt with some of the biggest blowhards oh my goodness um how much of it was about brian flores how how often did that would you say 80 percent, 90 percent? probably 90 percent of the interviews i did brian flores came up and that's fine because i think it was something that needed to be talked about and and i was very vocal in my um in my criticism of the league about it and uh I'll keep saying that until they make some changes in their hiring practices for uh, minorities and African-American coaches. So uh, I talked to the commissioner about it for a little bit and he's open to any suggestions because he's running out of ideas. Um, And it's basically up to this group of owners because Roger Goodell works for the owners and he can suggest things that they probably need to do that they probably are better look for the NFL, but he can't make them hire certain people. And, uh, so it's going to be up to that 32 group of owners to sit down and say, well, what are we going to do to get rid of this black eye? Because you had this outstanding football season that ended with playoffs like we've never seen before and a really good Super Bowl. But there's still this black eye out there and no pun intended on, on black no, head coaches. I, I, but I, but uh, there needs to be something done in that area. Well, I, I guess my question to you is. From your playing days, have you seen progress? Um, I've seen you know, it up I, and down. I've well, seen I, it I, I've down. interviewed, you know, I, I can't pretend to be something I'm not, and I don't apologize for that, but I do have many black friends and I have black friends who play in the national football league. And I've asked that question, you know, when you started your career to, to seeing what you see now, uh, you're, you're so close to the game is the progress being made and we just don't have an empirical number to prove it, or do we have as much you know, need, need to improve as we did 30 years ago. I think the, uh, the NFL in general has made improvement as far as diversity. I think the league has done a good job in hiring, um, whether it's African-Americans, whether it's, whether it's uh, gay people, whether it's, it's women in, in high places, whatever it might be, whatever I think they've right. done a great job to, in that. But the coaching side of it, that's up to the owners and the owners are the ones that are going to make those decisions, not the league. And they have to do a better job of, uh, of changing those numbers because right now I've seen it go up as high as eight African-American coaches in the league or eight minority coaches in the league at one time. You Now when you get down to just one and maybe there's three what they call minorities because of Ron Rivera being a Hispanic and because of uh, 
right. Robert Sala uh, in, in, in the Jets. Okay, we have, what do we have now? Five, I think, total. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, unless you're listening to this in the future. If, it, yeah. if there's a, a hiring cycle when you have nine openings and only two of those get filled by, by African-Americans. So, um, again, a better job needs to be done. I don't know how you incentivize these guys. It shouldn't have to be an incentivized thing. These guys are highly qualified guys to coach uh, at the at the NFL level. You know, you look at a a uh, Jim Caldwell who's taking a team to a Super Bowl. You take you look at uh, Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, he's got a job. I'm talking about guys who were. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Job. I see. You, you know, you look at Brian Flores, who's just coming off two winning seasons. How does he get fired? You look at uh, Todd Bowles, who had some nice years in in uh, in New York, and I think he's ready to for that that second opportunity. Byron Leftwich, what he's done the last couple of years in, in Tampa. Um, Eric Bieniemy, I mean, the last four or five years, he's been calling plays for the for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. So all these guys are highly qualified, but they're just not getting a serious look. The only parallel that I can use from a firsthand example, I remember talking to Willie Randolph when he had turned down an interview uh, with Cincinnati. All right. Those of you who know history, Willie Randolph was never a manager in Cincinnati. And I asked him then, you know, how what didn't you like about Cincinnati? He said, I didn't want to be the token interview. That Those were his words, not mine. Right. Um, that's where I worry about this, because I don't want legislation. I, look, I want diversity. And you're absolutely right that there are qualified people, but. I don't want someone to have to interview somebody or like the, the, the thing with the text messages and the Flores stuff like that only happens because Flores knows that there's this Rooney rule. He, kn- he knows that going in. Right. And the Rooney rule is well intended, but might not be uh, going. I'm not asking you to solve the, the world. The Rooney rule needs to be scrapped. The Rooney rule has not worked the way it's supposed to. And it's still not working. That, that but when it was implemented, did you like it? I liked it at the time, yes, okay. but all it all it really did was tell the owners, okay, as long as we interview an African American, we're good, and we can still go ahead and hire whoever we want, and, and we'll we'll uh, have uh, would have satisfied that part of it. But don't have a rule in place; just you know, hire the best guy. And and again, those owners have to get together at their owners' meetings or or when they're smoking cigars or whatever they, they need to do and talk <laughs> about. They do. Okay, we need to do something better than what we're doing right now because this is not a good look for us. You look at Major League Baseball; they have millionaires, billionaires too, owning their teams. You got Hispanic owners, you got South American owners, you got African American—I mean, these are managers, excuse me—and you, and you have white managers. Same thing in basketball; you have plenty of African American coaches, you have plenty of African American general managers in basketball, but you also have white ones too as well. So. Why can they not do it in those sports where they have billionaires on their football? I mean, their teams, but in football, there's this staunchy group of, of, of 32 owners that, that don't want to break outside of that. Yeah. But you know, I, I hear that. And I, I think of Patrick Ewing, uh, Patrick Ewing is a guy who believes he is not an NBA head coach because he's black. He also thinks there's a big man bias, that there's a, 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 a bias in basketball that if you're seven feet tall, you're stupid. And Patrick Ewing has said that not personally to me, but I've seen him do those interviews and these stigmas are around it. I guess I, what I'm, what I'm wondering, ownership of teams is an awkward thing because usually these teams are passed down, you know, right. the Maras and the Rooney's like they, 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 you inherit these teams. You don't go out and say, I want to own a, a football team or, or, or any sports team. Although I did love the, um, Activision, when Amazon bought uh, Activision, they bought it for $58 billion. They could buy every football team and every baseball team. They <laughs> wanted like, to, wow. Yeah, yeah if yeah. they wanted to, that, that, that'd be awesome. Just what about the idea of, you know, there's all this talk about the Broncos ownership and, you know, there's one candidate who happens to be a minority and you just, I, I don't know how you, you spin the wheel to make sure he gets the team. Yes, that would be a wonderful thing. That's a, it's a great thing if he's the most qualified person. But ownership is such a complicated thing. It's not like hirings and firings. Yeah, ownership is a little bit further down the road because you're talking 
to own one of these teams, it's anywhere from two and a half to seven billion dollars to win a, I mean, to own a uh, NFL football club, and it's just going up every year. And there's not a lot of African Americans out there with that type of money, and and they want you to have at least what you can't have at least so much of it in debt, twenty percent of it or something like that can be in debt. So there's all these qualifications, and and then you look at the the, the Broncos. There's Byron Allen, who's a uh, you know. A comedian and entertainer he's one of the one of the african-american groups that that's looking at it but you also have john elway who's put together a group and you also have peyton manning who's putting together a group two guys who have been in the league played for the organization worked for the organization and are not bad guys and if it comes down to everything is equal who do you think that that group of owners is going to vote in because they have the final say so even if you have the money and everything right, to right. buy a team you still have to be led into that group and you know, my money is going to be on one of those other other two groups as opposed to Byron Allen's group, unless he's so much further ahead money wise, and he's probably not going to be that. I I I, I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, when you were playing, I I, I just wanted to, to 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 bring this in into the conversation. I was a, a beat reporter for the Broncos in the beginning of my career. Before I went to Seattle, I, I covered the Broncos. My last year in Denver was Super Bowl 32 when they beat the Packers. And in that season, uh, Bill Romanowski spit on JJ Stokes. Right. And I remember, um, you know, not to speak too far out of school, but I remember everybody was asked to leave the clubhouse. And as legend tells us, uh, they put Bill Romanowski on a chair in the middle of the, of the locker room. And John Elway said, anyone want to say anything to him, you do it right now. And you, and you do it right now. And it was a defining moment for that team. I thought that team rallied around each other. Um, and I had never seen race be a, a, a rallying cry. I've always seen race being a negative. During your career, and I'm not asking you to speak out of school either, during your career, how common was something like that? How often was something like that happening? And is it something that, you were comfortable being, you know, kind of the, the, the guy everybody looked to for something to say. That just sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah, that we never had anything like that in any of the teams that I played for. Nothing that disrespectful. There were guys fought in practice uh, because you're playing a physical sport. It's a collision sport and, and, and guys get into it, especially sometimes in training camp when you're just beating on each other every day. There's no games to look forward to and and uh, one guy might be going at one speed in practice another guy is going at another speed maybe it's a young guy who's trying to make the team going against a veteran who who is going at a veteran speed then all of a sudden a little altercation breaks out but but that all gets you know pushed under the bridge uh later on but they they make up and and we move on to the next day never nothing like that where you know, a player, uh, you know, spits on another player like that. That that's that's as disrespectful. That was crazy. Uh, it was it was crazy, but it what the, the point of why I brought it up is it, it it turns something into a positive. And I would imagine there were a lot of potential negatives that if someone didn't have your temperament, I, and I use that for lack of a better word because you know I've watched you from afar. I I <laughs> I, I covered you for a year, <laughs> albeit uh, that 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 year in Seattle. But the but but there's there's a certain personality that has to embrace that, and you know well, that's what, that's what I always tried to be as a quarterback. I tried to be the calming influence to the team because you have this very violent, uh, very physical um, uh, sport that that you know these big, strong, uh, athletic men are going at each each other, playing and play out, and there's a lot of chaos that goes on out there. So you want to turn to somebody who you see as a calming influence throughout this whole chaos that's going on. I wanted that to be me, that if we were behind in a football game or if things got out of control a little bit or whatever it might have been, guys could always look over at me and see my see my composure and see that, okay, if Warren's okay, everything's going to be okay and we just need to keep playing. That's what I always wanted to be for my teams. Yeah, it, 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 there's definitely something, something to be said uh, for it. Um, on the field, and then I have to wrap up with a quick Seattle uh, topic, but just on the field, um, they're making a lot of uh, steps to try to protect quarterbacks. Uh, it's They've made a lot of steps. <laughs> okay. 
So can I can I can I put words in your mouth and just say as much as the accolades for the young men that play quarterback today, it's easier to be a quarterback now than it was back then. In other sports, I, I cherish that. You know, I always say when guys strike out 15 batters, I always say, well, yeah, but these guys are swinging and missing like you wouldn't believe. It used to be that that was hard to do. You know, it, it was, was playing in the NFL harder when you did it? Yeah, I won't say that it was it's easier to play right now. I'll say it's less physically demanding on the quarterback okay. as far as the amount of punishment that he takes. Uh, there's been all types of rule changes to devise to make sure the quarterback is protected, whether you can't touch him on his helmet, you can't go below your, his knees and hit him. All these are going to be penalized. You can't drive a guy to the turf anymore. You have to try and somehow dive off of him before right, right. you hit him to the ground. I mean, they're, they're asking defensive players to do things that defy the odds of gravity. And uh, it's unfortunate for the defensive players, but I understand why they're trying to protect the quarterback. I wish they would have done that when I was playing. <laughs> But it's become more of a skills game for the quarterback and receiver now. Uh, it's almost like a seven-on-seven seven with a little bit of contact. And I think even Tom Brady talked about that a couple of months ago, that he's had to change the way he's played the game because it's become more of a skills game. But it's really benefited him because it's not as physical. And as you get older in your career, you don't want the game to be as physical. Sure, sure. Um, okay. Uh, I, I'm going to try not to open up a can of worms here. Um but I wanted to end it on a, on a more positive. I wanted to make sure we talked about uh, more important issues in the beginning of this podcast and not let my personal uh, jokes and, and yucks uh, get in the way. Um, the transformation of the Seahawks are like a caterpillar turning into a goddamn butterfly. Um, they don't even resemble the team that I covered in the late nineties. Uh, there's been a transformation. However, that transformation coincides a with success, but B the basketball team left. You went to the university of Washington. I could do a whole episode with you on that. But we, the, the basketball team leaving, I have believed that the city of Seattle, a city I call my second home has a stigma about being a bad sports town because they lost that basketball team. And what I noticed is it's not so much that they have a loud crowd. They have to have the loudest crowd. They have to bring in decibel meters. It's not so much they get a soccer team. They have to have 30,000 at a soccer game. They're going to have the nicest arena. They're going to have everything. And it just seems like this unspoken thing in the city of Seattle of, you know, they're really still smarting out over the loss of that basketball team. What's your thought on the evolution of the Seahawks at the same time that that happened? I told you, it's a can of worms. Well, when you lost, when you lose a, a team like the Seahawks, that I mean, the Sonics that everybody loved here, uh, there's a big void that's left there. And uh, but then all of a sudden you have the Seahawks kind of ascending at the same time, and that's where all that focus went. And I think uh, the Seahawks did a great job of developing that whole twelfth man concept, where it get it, where it got all the fans involved. Uh, even more so into the football team than, than they normally would. And they really bought into it, that they were a part of the success of the team. And then the team started to play well at the same time. So uh, you had the perfect storm going on for the Seahawks where you didn't have uh, anybody to, to cheer for a basketball team because there wasn't a basketball team there. So all that, all those fans came over to the Seahawks side as well. And then there wasn't any hockey at the time. So everything was all those, those chips were moved into the, to the Seahawks which became, they became one of the more popular teams in the league. Like you said, the loudest crowd, we had great following on the road. I mean, we'd go on road games. You'd think we were the Green Bay Packers or, or the Dallas Cowboys or somebody on the road because of the way people traveled. So it was a great thing for the Seahawks, but they, over the last so many years, they haven't been able to live up to that um, uh, as good as the team was back during those days. And a lot of it has to do with salary, salary caps, and they just can't, feel the same type of teams as they could. Right. Feel when they were winning the Super Bowl, nobody got paid. You well, when Russell Wilson was on his uh, contract as well, right. you could go out and, and get some players um, to, to make your football team better. Once he signed that big deal, it, it really limited what they could do. And, and I think you've seen that happen over the over the course of years, trying to keep that same level of, uh, of talent up. Totally, totally. It's a great city. And I think it's an underrated sports city. 
It really yeah. is. And I think once they do get a basketball team, and we were close a couple of years ago, almost got the Sacramento Kings, teams, yeah. and that got saved at the at the uh, 11th hour. But I think once they do uh, start expansion again, I think we'll be one of the first places to come because I think the league understands or the NBA understands how great a sports city this is. And we have a pretty solid um, TV rating as well as far as uh, nationally. So I think those things combined we'll get a team here pretty soon. You know, it's funny. This is the second straight episode that we've talked to somebody in Seattle. I I might have to just move to Seattle and just keep doing this podcast. Two weeks ago, uh, we had John Costacos from the Costacos collection and uh, they were so excited. I just got his book. uh, John sent me his, his book, which is all the great posters. And uh, Oh my goodness. Then when I found out you were coming on, especially when I thought you were coming on last week, I wanted to ask you, um, he's getting into the NFT space. Did he have to explain to you? Cause he explained to my audience what the hell an NFT is. How hard was that to, to understand? Well, I've kind of been approached by a couple of other companies uh, over the past six months. And so when John came to me along with my, uh, my longtime agent, uh, Jeff Morad, who put together the business yes. side of this, I felt good he about just it. Just talked to his son, Justin. He, he yeah. set up John on the podcast. Right. And I felt good about it because of the history that I've had with both of these guys that I could trust them, that I know John does outstanding work. I was on a number of his posters back in the yes, 80s. You if you were on a Kostakis poster, that was like being on the cover of Madden magazine back in those days. I mean, right. Madden, uh, Madden game, excuse me. Yep. And then and then Jeff does a great job with the business side of it. So I felt like it was a, a pretty solid deal. And then the fact that we were adding a charity component to it, that my uh, my foundation could benefit from that, that made it even even uh, even more appealing. So that's what I was promoting on on Radio Row. We had our, our, uh, our first push where myself, Troy Aikman, who was also during those days, yep. uh, Jim McMahon and Dan Marino, we all had posters back in those days. And they've turned those posters into NFTs, which is a uh, more of a, a digital piece of memorabilia and uh, something that will last a lot longer that people have a lot more control over. And, and I think they'll love the work that uh, John continues to keep putting in it, the quality work. And so the fact that they're going to do quality work and the business side of it is solid. That's what got me involved. John was such a cool podcast guest. He has so many stories with all the, all the ways he shot the players and the, the boldness that they had to just go up to strangers when they didn't have the reputation that they have now. I wasn't sure. I said, I said to, uh, when they, when they approached me and they said, you want to have John Costacos on the podcast? My initial reaction was that's more of a video thing. Like (laughs) not, not a, not a podcast. He was such a cool, listen, and uh, yeah, that, but the mistake I made with, with John is I went right into the Seattle stuff. See, I had to cover real issues with you. I couldn't just go right into the Seattle stuff because when I start talking about Seattle, we would have been done with the podcast. We never would have touched on Brian Flores. No, you never would have. And, and John has a great, uh, you know, great history of, of everything that's happened in this city. Cause he's, cause more than anything, he's a fan. He's a huge oh, yeah. fan. He's a huge fan of Husky football and, and Husky sports. He's a huge fan of all the professional teams. So he can tell you something about everything. Everybody. He's a great storyteller. Everybody. You're not so bad yourself. Uh, Warren, <laughs> social media, how do you feel about it? How do you like it? I appreciate you following me. I followed you right back. What was your What's your thoughts on social media? I love, I, I will say, I loved the last week of it. Strangers tweeting at me when I lost my father. It's one of the most therapeutic things you can do is see social media on those things, but it's a toxic cesspool and a mess. What's your thought on, on social media? Yeah, there's positives and negatives, uh, just like anything else. Uh, I think the great thing about it is it gives you an opportunity to say the things that you want to say. If you're a, if you're especially a celebrity, uh, you know, that has a platform and has different things that you're concerned about that you want to get out there and you know it'll be organic. It won't be edited or anything like that. I, I like that part of it. Um, I don't like the fact that there are people out there that no matter what you say are, are going to j- disagree with just you. come at you for no just reason. come at you with a lot of hate and different things like that, that, that there's no there's no excuse for that. If you don't like what I have to say, just you don't have to agree with what I have to say, but do you have to come back with me at me with, with, uh, you know, derogatory things to say, and sometimes even, you know, more serious than that, but, but yeah, there's a, there's definitely a place for social media. 
I, I think it's maybe taken over kids' lives a little bit too much. That's something that really concerns me because every kid that you see is always on their phone. Uh, I, I've always said that smartphones make dumb people. And I think that has something to do with it as well, because nobody, nobody wants to use their brain anymore. I used to know every phone number of all my friends and people by heart. I don't know. I don't barely know my own phone number now because of my phone. Or if somebody asks you a question about who, who, uh, who has a home run record or whatever, nobody tries to think about who it is. They go straight to their phone to get an answer from Google. So those are the things that I don't, I don't like about it is it, it doesn't allow you to keep using your mind and use your brain, which is something God gave you to use. It's all inside this phone now. And um, uh, those are the things that I don't like about it. Well, I, it makes perfect sense. And uh, I always say um, I used to love it. Now I try to love it. <laughs> um how can people try, find who are listening to, to this stuff too much time on it i try not to, to focus on it too much um but i know it is necessary especially when you're trying to get a message out or when you're trying to yeah. sell something or whatever it might be there's no question there's a place for it but uh i don't let it dominate my life no you're, you're absolutely right when my father died i thought about who i wanted to call and text and i just was like you know what would be so much faster because i know all those friends follow me on twitter i, I was like just tweet it. It'll be quick, you know, and that was the, the idea uh, be, behind it. How can people find you online, sir? Well, they can get me on Twitter at, uh, at WMoon1, and they can get me on uh, Instagram at, at WarrenMoon1. So uh, I'm out there. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to respond to what you have to say, but usually when I have something to say, I'll put it out there and uh, let everybody take what they think from it. And, and uh, if they have anything nice to say come on back to me if they have anything that's a uh that's a intelligent response that's great but if you have some hate keep it inside your body (laughs) well i will say uh it feels good to end the podcast saying what i always do if there's anything that you heard from warren moon that you uh, had an issue with or didn't like do me a favor reach out to warren directly and leave me the hell out of it but he just said he's not going to respond so just keep it to yourself Warren, thanks so much for doing this. It was a real thrill to have you on the podcast. Seth, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You do a great job, and uh, let's talk somewhere down the road. Yes, we're going to have to have you back. Warren Moon, folks. Again, the way this was put together, this was supposed to be last week. We recorded this after the Super Bowl simply because I couldn't do a podcast last week with the passing of my father. My father, if you heard the beginning of the podcast, you know exactly how I felt about him. He was a great, great father and a great, great man. Um, But I appreciate uh, Warren and his team for helping me uh, put this show together. A great guest like that. You don't miss out on a chance to talk to Warren Moon. We did just that. We will see you each and every Wednesday. At least that's our plan. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on, Person 